The COVID-19 pandemic has made it easy to forget that pandemics happen a lot more often than every hundred years. A case in point, the Ebola outbreak of 2014. A team of researchers at BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, part of the Health and Human Services Department, in the meantime has enabled development of vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostic tests for Ebola. For their work, doctors David Boucher, John Lee, and Daniel Wolf are finalists in this year's Service to America Medals program. David Boucher joins me now. Dr. Boucher, good to have you on. Good to be on. Thank you for having me. And first of all, tell us a bit about yourself. Are you a virologist? Are you what kind of a doctor are you? Well, I actually have a pretty <laughs> varied background. I did my PhD in cancer biology, of all things. I studied genetics uh, associated with prostate cancer. I went on to physics laboratory where I did nuclear optical imaging and a little bit of radio chem. And then during the 2014 outbreak of Ebola, I was offered a position out here in D.C., thought it was an interesting thing to come do. And that's how I arrived here. Wow. And in developing, let's say, well, a test, I guess you have to have good tests to result in good vaccines, because in some ways you're looking at the virus. What's the essential challenge in understanding a virus such that you can begin to develop tests for it and then therapeutics and vaccines? Well, you want to identify the unique aspects of it so that your tests are not only confirmatory that something is there, but you want to know exactly what it is down to the level that you possibly can. We've done that with RT-PCR. John Lee's group uh, developed a rapid diagnostic test uh, a little bit quicker than PCR, uh, detects certain antigens on Ebola that lets you know if it's there or not. And my understanding of Ebola and just reading the news accounts at the time of where it was outbreaking in you know, Africa and so forth, is that in some ways it's a more deadly and horrifying virus than COVID-19. Yeah. Depending on which outbreak you're looking at, mortality associated with disease can be anywhere from 50% up into uh, 90% at times. Contrast that with COVID, where it's down in the 1%, 2%, range. Still a very deadly virus, but Ebola is pretty severe, something you definitely don't want. And in doing this work at BARDA, there must be a lot of collaboration with industry because don't they need to be kind of apprised as to how the science is developing? And they must have a lot of research departments of their own at some of the big drug makers and vaccine makers. They do. And that's really how we do what we do. We partner up with industry. We leverage their expertise. It might not necessarily be for Ebola uh, in the example of Regeneron. That was not a space that they were in. What we were able to do on the government side is take our experience with things like anthrax, smallpox, botulinum, things that are approved for biodefense indications, pretty unique regulatory pathway. Obviously, you're not doing human clinical trials on smallpox, fortunately, these days. Different regulatory pathway. We have experts at BARDA that really understand that, understand the non-clinical work that goes into that, the manufacturing development. We're able to then take that to industry partners who have technology to discover new therapeutics, vaccines, and diagnostics. And it's been a really great marriage, actually. It sounds like you even need to know something about manufacturing and the economics of this whole chain of ecosystem that results in therapeutics and vaccines. We do, yeah. And so that's a great thing that BARDA brings to the table is we have subject matter experts from a variety of disciplines one of the strongest areas that we have is manufacturing. As you do your process development, your scale up, you obviously want a therapeutic that is safe and efficacious. You also want the confidence to know that when you manufacture it, <laughs> this lot looks like the last lot. We can do that. And yeah, that's been a great collaboration. On the economic side, we deal with a lot of 
pathogens for which there is not a commercial market for therapeutics and vaccines. Ebola has been a threat since it was identified in 1976. Development has been great on early discovery. Getting through what's historically called that valley of death, the high price tag of manufacturing, reaching FDA approval, without a commercial market to pull companies to that, progress was slow, and that's where BARDA gets involved. We're speaking with Dr. David Boucher. He's a branch chief for antivirals and antitoxins at the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA. He, along with branch chiefs John Lee and Daniel Wolf, are finalists in this year's Service to America Medals program. And there must be a, I guess, a human side of this, because as you're working on these different projects, there are people out there getting sick and dying in many cases. And so there must be that sense of there's no relaxation from this effort until we get to this goal here. That's correct. That drives us. And I think, you know, at BARDA, we all understand what we're working on. They are those therapeutics that we hope we never need. In the case of Ebola, something we often need. Working in D.C., we understand that. I can tell you on a personal note, I've been in Africa a few times. One of the most impactful times I visited an Ebola treatment unit where one high-profile case was treated it was a, a baby born to a, a mother who had unfortunately passed away of Ebola. Uh, she received a therapeutic intervention that BARDA worked on. She survived, and it was a pretty fantastic story. And when I visited the ETU, I got to speak with some of the doctors who, who cared for her. And on the whiteboard, they still had her infusion schedule. So it was a pretty impactful thing and really brought things home for the impact of the work that we do. And in the United States, you know, people are at odds a lot, seems to be the way we operate. And now there's a lot of discussion on drug prices and the drug industry and so forth, the interactions with FDA and other parts of the federal government. In BARDA, you work closely with the industry. What should people understand about the industry and its interaction with the government that perhaps we don't hear about so much? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with regard to drug pricing, what we do when we set out to form partnerships is we have an eye on the finish line and what that pricing is going to look like, again, for something like Ebola without a commercial indication. We work with the companies and we want to strike that balance between, you know, a fair and reasonable price and still have their interest. There's a certain level of profit that's acceptable in, in the way our society is built. We try to find that balance. We take on a lot of the economic risks associated with developing. Uh, we leverage that to get better prices on the backside uh, when we do reach success. For countries that might not be able to afford these products, and Ebola is front and center with that one, right? The people at highest risk are in countries that might not have otherwise have access to these therapeutics, vaccines, and diagnostics. We work aggressively within the U.S. government with our industry partners to keep those products available. And in working the Ebola beat, if you will, and observing, just because you live in the United States and work for the federal government, mm -hmm. the COVID-19, I don't know what you'd call it, this panoply or this cavalcade mm -hmm. of events that has happened over the last couple of years here, do you think that we are sufficiently learning from one outbreak to the next on how to deal? We're getting better. I think a case in point really is that partnership that we formed with Regeneron. It's an example. We started working with them in 2014, 2015, kind of at the height of the West African outbreak. We pushed a product quickly, but safely by stacking up different phases of development, taking some degree of financial risk, but not taking risk on safety and efficacy and doing those things that you have to, you know, you want confidence when you use a drug. We got to approval in six years. 
we took that same philosophy when we started thinking in January, February of 2020 about how we're going to develop COVID therapeutics, vaccines and diagnostics. And we went more aggressive. We took more of a financial risk. We stacked more aggressively. And one of those companies we worked with was Regeneron again, leveraging that same platform we use for the Ebola therapeutic. And we reached emergency use authorization, I believe, in November of 2020. So learning lessons, building on them, improving them, expediting when we need to in a safe way. That's what we're getting at. And hopefully when you ask this question five years from now from whoever's sitting here, they have an even better answer. And I suppose uh, the older guys in society will respect any work you can get going on the prostate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I still have a lot of talk with my old friends back at uh, UC Davis where I went to school uh, about that. All right. Dr. David Boucher is branch chief for antivirals and antitoxins at the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. He, along with branch chiefs John Lee and Daniel Wolf, are finalists in this year's Service to America Medals program. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. It's been a great experience. We'll post this interview along with a link to more about their work at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way 
to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important and you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. 
and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.